everyone, how's it going? Sean back here with Everything REI, and today we have a very interesting podcast with Jay Martin. Jay Martin has been on our podcast several times to talk about the Airbnb business, and now he's going to talk about how Airbnb is being impacted by COVID-19. In this episode, we're going to be going over his plans on how to ride out the pandemic to keep his business afloat, as well as what he's going to do in the future so that he never finds himself in the same position again. So all this and more, come in right up. This is the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan, where we interview local real estate investors and professionals to go over tips, tricks, and investing strategies to help you learn about the business and to enable you to achieve your financial goals. And now, welcome to the show. All right, Jay, thanks so much for coming back on our show today. Uh, welcome back. And for those who don't know you, do you want to give a quick introduction to who you are and tell us what you do? Cool. Thanks for having me, Sean. Yeah. So I've been doing Airbnb, you say rental arbitrage or subleasing. So I have 20 something units and host a real estate conference every year and then own some properties in the San Francisco Bay area. And I uh, travel and hire some other people to do those businesses until recently. <laughs> exactly. And actually, you know, I love your conference. I go every year and it was funny because Thanks. I invited some of my friends to go and they were super worried about COVID-19. And this was back in February. I was like, don't worry about it. Like everyone's gonna be there. No one's gonna be wearing these masks. You're gonna be fine. <laughs> yeah, you know, looking back, it's crazy that it just seemed like this far off thing back in early February. Um, I think it was the first week of February. And, you know, just weeks later or a month later, you know, literally we're on lockdown. Um, we're getting close to it. So obviously it's been a huge transformation for my business and many others. Um, and, you know, obviously just shocking. Um, so my heart's out there to anyone who's, you know, been medically affected. Um, and of course, we'll be talking about some of the business end too. Exactly. Like even I was hosting meetup groups locally in the South Bay and I would have, you know, 70 people come to my meetups and yeah. wouldn't feel guilty about it. But looking back, it was like, wow, maybe my meetup got someone sick. You know, it's, it's, it's scary to think about. Yeah, you know, it's what we didn't know at the time, and maybe it was a little bit naive. I know we were scheduling some other stuff. I was supposed to go to Washington and do a meetup, and we were just watching stuff every day, and we decided to call it off. Um, so it's, I guess, that point in time of making the realization, and this kind of falls into the business side too. Like, you know, at first, I didn't realize how big it was going to be either. You know, and I wasn't, you know, in emergency mode or anything like that. And then I, maybe everyone has this point where they realize, wow, this is maybe going to be a big deal and start taking some serious action to personal life and their business um, to try to mitigate those risks. And I think that maybe happened at a little bit time for a different time for everyone. I might've been a little bit late to the game, but um, learning as we go here. Exactly. And then when you feel it, you're like, Oh man, it's real. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's a big wake up when it, when that realization finally hits. So, yeah. yeah. So why don't you share um, like your story of like what has happened with your business and related to COVID-19? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I was listening, uh, you had, I think it was Evan on um, not too long ago, yeah. and he also does some Airbnb, but is running out room by room um, and has been able to keep things occupied. So we're a little bit different. We have been renting typically longer term. One of the type of people he actually described, right? So we rent a lot of apartments, put furniture inside, rent them out typically for over 30 days. So one of the things that's changed, um, again, I was a little bit late maybe to the party, um, but we have this report that's produced twice a week that shows what vacancies we have today in the next seven days, 21 days, 30, you know, and so on and so forth. And I just saw this wall of vacancy coming in and we had all these cancellations. And I was like, man, you know, what if, I, I was also looking at the average occupancy and I think the average occupancy was at like 20 something percent. 
in the San Francisco Bay projected for April. So this was just a month ago. It's May 7th when we're recording this right now. And I was just like, oh my gosh, how much in rents do I have to pay next month if no one books, right? Um, turns out, you know, between some employees and that rent, it's over $40,000 a month. Nice. So I was like, wow, okay. Um, you know, I can, I can service my business for a while, but like with nothing, I absolutely can't, right? Like I, I can't go on like that, servicing $40,000 a month. So what we did is, um, you know, some immediate changes. We, we started lowering our pricing really quick um, to get more bookings in. And one of the things that I wanted to share with other people um, that I think was really important in our business and helped us out, and I think is applicable to a lot of businesses, is reporting. And we always have periodic reports that we produce, but in times uh, like this, especially when things are changing quickly, we implemented a lot of new reporting, um, including projected deposits uh, for the next few months based on current reservations, uh, cumulative deposits over the month, so we actually know how much cash flow is coming in. Basically, like cash flow projections which before we didn't really need to take the time to do because there was always lots of cash coming in. So I think that's important versus, you know, kind of updating your reporting and maybe doing it more frequently or focusing on different things that are important right now versus just sticking with the monthly reports we had done, you know, every month. And again, I think it's something applicable to a lot of different businesses. Uh, You know, as times change, you kind of got to change that focus of information, attention and action. It's pretty crazy because I remember before this whole pandemic happened, I thought the Airbnb strategy was very solid. Like you were going to get much, you know, more consistent or not consistent, but you get higher gross revenues because you're charging more per night. Um, and it seemed pretty much foolproof. Like unless there was something catastrophic, like a pandemic where you don't travel for business, your business is fine. Right. Even in a depression, people tend to do business travel. Right. Um, but, but yet only because of this certain issue is Airbnb really taking a hit. Have you um, gained some insight into some weaknesses in your Airbnb strategy? You know, maybe like so many things, it works until it doesn't. Um, <laughs> I, was, I was always kind of nervous about what would happen in the recession. Obviously, this was much quicker and much more devastating. Uh, I think in general, and I don't know if this is just for Airbnb business, but I think there's ways to do it, is um, having lower monthly overhead and higher gross margins would prevent a lot of the pain, you know, kind of that I've suffered. And just as an example, and I believe um, this is true, you know, with your prior guests, is doing a property management type model, right? So you get a percentage of the revenue. And even in times like this, there's still owners that need to get some revenue, right? So there's still money coming in the door without a fixed overhead cost necessarily, you know, including all the rents. Right. So instead of doing the Airbnb arbitrage model where you're renting from someone as a master lease tenant and then leasing out Airbnb, you would just do a property management style where you were kind of like a partner with the seller or you're a partner with the homeowner and then you rent their property out on Airbnb for them for a, a, a spread. Yeah, I think that's that's one way to implement a lower overhead model. Um, to be honest, um, I'm not, I kind of this idea for people, but I'm like, you know, for the operational needs of a business like this, and what the the gross margins tend to be in the net margins and the overhead, you know, I'm not sure if maybe another business might be more worthwhile for me in the long term. You know, I, I'm I'm still continuing this business but I may, you know, scale it down. I'm scaling it down to a smaller size that'll be profitable um, on, on the best units. 
And I think I may grow another business instead, um, instead of just sticking with this one, you know, because I've been doing it, so to speak. Right. Um, because I guess if you put in the same energy, you can run almost any business, right? Businesses are all relatively similar. You have employees, you do something to generate a profit, and then you get the spread. But with this particular model, your business is relatively risky because you have, you know, rent and high overhead costs. Yeah. And, and because of that, you know, relatively low margins relative to the revenue brought in, you know, with that big fixed overhead. So I think that, you know, it's something I've always been conscious of, but until the revenue really drops like that, um, you know, we did do okay, but we ended up lowering prices and got occupancy in, but still ended up losing money. Um, of course, it's better than losing that entire, you know, $45,000 for the month. Um, so we trimmed that up a whole lot um, and at least didn't lose five digits um, in April. But I think that uh, at least, I think that's the, the big takeaway for me, at least going forward is having something with less overall overhead relative to the profit and gross revenue. Yeah, it's interesting to hear that. You know, when I first heard, you know, obviously you and Al promoting Airbnb arbitrage, back in like 2016 or 2017, this seemed like a very, very good model, right? But for me, it was always like, uh, I always felt it like it was a business, like your business is now running a hospitality Airbnb business. It's not really real estate investing per se, because you're not actually buying the property. You're not really getting the tax benefits of real estate. You're running a hospitality business. That's correct. Absolutely. And I think people need to think about that in general when they're getting into investing is how business-like is it? And even with tenants is somewhat of a business, but when you have a hospitality like type business like that, um, yeah, we don't get the upside of the ownership. So it's a pure cash flow business. Um, to be honest, you know, it did really well for five, six years, generated a lot of profit. I'm basically doing a few things, but winding it down. So some of the less profitable units, uh, when the lease is up, we've, you know, gotten rid of those units, saved some of the furniture and basically renting some a little bit longer term to kind of make sure that we're at least having some revenue come in. So we're just making a little bit of shift for now to make sure that we can make it through, scale down the portfolio a little bit, and then uh, look for up other opportunities. And uh, the other big thing is raising money. So I raised a lot of liquidity in the last two months or so. And I think it's important for everyone out there, even if you don't know how bad it's going to be right now, um, it's really better to have kind of have the cash and not need it than need it and not have it. Do you want to talk about what you did to raise money? Yeah, actually. So a few things. So for a long time, I've, um, you know, maintained credit card availability um, and have raised those over time. So a lot of those offers are for 18 months. It's 4% interest. You know, it's unsecured. You don't need real estate. Um, although, you know, it can be risky, but to me for an 18 month, 18 month loan, you know, to have a year, two years to get through whatever's going on right now is a decent amount of time. So I raised some of that money. I borrowed some money from people that I've, you know, met and had relationships with in real estate that I've met at meetup groups, my conference, uh, people actually that I rent apartments from. So <laughs> I almost felt bad, but I, I shut down three apartments with someone and then borrowed $25,000 from them. Nice. Um, so uh, I did, did some of that, and then I'm borrowing some money on a second lien on a property that I own also. So it's kind of a variety of different sources and a variety of different interest rates, about 4 to 10%. And uh, someone was asking me, like, isn't 10% expensive? And I'm like, you know, it's a lot more expensive to not have cash and be in a liquidity crunch or have to sell assets at a desperate time or something like that. 
So to me, it's a really reasonable cost to have extra liquidity on hand. So you're just uh, like holding it, right? You're not using it for anything or a major acquisition in your future. More or less, yeah, just, just having it available. Um, and it, it could be for an acquisition. I'm kind of waiting to see how things pan out with the economy. Um, so holding it for now to make sure that I have enough money to do everything I need to do for my business and myself. And then as we you know, transition to the new year and see how things shake out, um, you know, see if that cash is needed for bad times ahead or maybe for some opportunities that are available. Yeah. Um, you know, actually, you know, I used to be in bank regulation before I got into real estate investing. And so this was during the financial crisis and we saw all these banks and the companies they were lending to go under. And I would say, you know, nine times out of 10, liquidity was an issue. You know, it was, it was cash on hand. Some of them had value, but if things were going for fire sale prices and they couldn't hold on to them and service things, those are the people who got burned bad. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. There was a lot of d bad decisions and a lot of like people who were over leveraged, but even those who were over leveraged, if they had liquidity to ride it out, a lot of them could capture the price recovery and deal with a lot of things, the bad things that happened. So I just wanted to encourage everyone out there, you know, I've never heard of anyone having saying, damn, I had too much cash on hand during this crisis, you know, during this recession. Uh, so just encourage you to, to hold on to cash, uh, you know, save it, raise it, have it. Yeah. Uh, what are other people who are in your space doing right now, now that, you know, Airbnb is taking such a big hit? Yeah, it's kind of an interesting thing. It's a variety. Um, so I actually have a weekly call with a bunch of other people who are doing furnished rentals um, in the Bay Area and in other locations. So we kind of get an update of what's going on in the industry. Again, this is something I really encourage everyone to do during this time, especially is go out and network with other successful people in a similar company, maybe in other companies also. Um, but all of us are, you know, ready, willing, open to share There's a variety of things going on. Some people have been able to get longer term bookings and are going to sort of ride it out. Uh, others are doing what I'm doing, which is cutting units that are the least profitable and holding on to the core stuff that makes the most sense. And a couple of people are scaling back, you know, even more and sort of shifting out of it for now, rent them all long term and see if the market comes back next year. Yeah, let's talk about that. It's like, what do you, where do you see the future of Airbnb? Like, is it going to stay for, you know, just two months or is it going to be dead for a year or so? Well, I was staring into my crystal ball this morning. No, I'm just kidding. Um, you know, no one really knows, of course, but I just think that this has gone on so long. Like, as an example, I think the Federal Reserve or someone had a survey that said 70% of Americans don't have $1,000 set aside in savings or something like that. And if they have a loss of income, I mean, you're talking about no savings, even with the, the help that's coming from the government, I don't think it's going to be enough. But people there without savings, lack of confidence, a lot of businesses that are going to permanently close. And uh, for example, the Treasury Secretary was talking about getting back to where we were today in Q3, which to me is just absurd. I mean, we had 3.5% nationwide unemployment, which is the lowest it's been in 40, 60 years. It might not happen again for another 40 years. Um, I just think the damage that's being done to think that everything is gonna come back and make up for all the things that are gonna be lost for the longer term, like travel and everything related around tourism, uh, frankly, I just think is absurd. I think it's gonna take a long, it's gonna take years to get back to the same employment levels uh, and especially in the travel sector, I think. What businesses do you know of that have like closed permanently? 
because of this? I think restaurants seem to be the first ones that are phasing out. Um, and then I think the second part is going to be like the scale back. So just as an example for my business, we're going to end up with probably about half the number of units. And I know several people that'll end up with about half the number of units. So that's going to be half the number of, you know, cleanings, half the amount of revenue for, you know, the people we book through, you know, half as much of the maintenance that we send people out for and the trickle kind of that goes down from there. Um, I think a lot of even the remaining opening businesses aren't going to be generating the same kind of business and revenue they were before, right? Especially anything where people are going into a location together. Yeah, I think people are going to probably dip their toes in the water before going all in into big events and gatherings. But yeah, I mean, we, we have no idea, right? Like they might just decide, oh, I don't need to go to restaurants anymore. I know how to cook now. I'm a master chef because I have six weeks worth of experience <laughs> now. <laughs> well, but they're talking about just, for, just as an example. So for restaurants, gyms, cinemas, all these places where in theory people are in con- you know, relatively close contact, they're saying until there's a vaccine, they're going to have to have sufficient social distance in between each other. Mm. I mean, so they're talking about restaurants opening with six feet in between each table you know, with, uh, you know, a theater, a third full, with things, you know, with things like that, that just, you know, things that aren't gonna produce. And that's just from the supply side, right? So that's restricted supply due to, you know, social distancing and the continued impact of the coronavirus. And then you have all the demand side stuff. Uh, This just is another example. I think a lot of people aren't going to be returning to their physical workspace in the same way. They might be working more from home or totally from home. Uh, there's certain companies that have announced it for an extended period and maybe for the longer term. If you've been to like a central business district, you know, where it doesn't have a lot of residential, it's dead if the, you know, if the day is closed for business. You know, a lot of those, I think, you know, people don't buy the same amount of clothes. They don't do the same amount of shopping, go to the same amount of places, restaurants. Um, so I just, I don't see, I definitely don't see it getting back to where it was, you know, just these last seasons before January, anytime yeah. soon. It's crazy, right? Because... It's not like there's less money in the world. In fact, there's more money because the government put in $2 trillion. It's just that people aren't moving the money. <laughs> and because people aren't moving the money, now everyone's suddenly getting screwed. <laughs> so the, in, in, uh, in economics, and especially when the Fed pushes out money like that, they call it pushing on a string. You know, so you have this string hanging there. You can push on it. It doesn't do anything. The string just bends and it's hanging at this, you know, the same spot. And I think that's the problem with the Fed. You know, they can push out $20 trillion. And frankly, they went from $4 trillion to $6 trillion. It'll probably go to twelve. dollars um, But if people aren't out spending, not only because of the coronavirus, because if they're afraid they don't have a job in the future, they don't have any savings, you know, they've had declining real income for decades anyway. Um, I just don't really see people, like, pent up demand and it's just going to explode and then come back to what it was. Um, I, don't, I don't think the business investment's going to be there, right? Um, I frankly think there's going to be like a real, real recession that comes out of this. Um, if I'm wrong, I'll have extra cash on hand and I can either pay it back or do something with it. Um, but again, I'd rather be prepared for something that's a little bit more long, um, a little bit more painful than not do that and not be prepared for it. Yeah. Um, if, I, if I'm wrong, I'll make more money than I think. <laughs> but if I'm right, hopefully I'll be prepared for that situation. And where are you right now? I'm actually in Oakland, California right now. Um, okay. 
amazingly, Arlen convinced me to come back. I was in Mexico and he's like, oh, what if, you know, what if it gets bad there and you can't get into a hospital and you can't get back to the USA? Um, and then really everything just shut down. There was nothing to do. And um, I decided to come back and for the first time in years, personally do some things for my business. Um, so I, I helped pack up a unit and bring it to another apartment where I'm going to live for a while and uh, doing some good old fashioned hands-on work that I've heard so much about. Nice. I know Arlen champions that a lot and he posts on Instagram all the time. <laughs> hey, I got to give a big shout out actually, because he helped me move a bunch of furniture and let me his truck. So he's uh, not only inspired me, but helped me get my ass in gear. So I'm, thank I'm thankful for all the people that I've learned from over the years and uh, be able to have that help as uh, things pop up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because I remember, you know, you usually travel for most of the year out in, you know, Asia or in Mexico. And now I guess you're back here, like all of us, because, yeah. Because are there's you doing nowhere anything? to go and nothing to do. Yeah. Are you doing anything in terms of, uh, like, negotiating your contracts with your owners or having to talk on that side, like, to lower your liabilities? You know, I haven't really renegotiated contracts with the owners. Um, part of them, you know, a lot of them are people I know, but... I, for the longer term contracts, at least, you know, I have a big thing about, you know, just fulfilling my obligations. So, you know, if I sign the contract, I'll uphold it when it comes up, you know, that's a time to negotiate for me. I have been on, you know, some ongoing basis. For example, we're looking at some new cleaners. So before we were paying a lot of money and because, you know, things were growing, it was just worth it. But now that so many people are laid off, there's people that need jobs there's a lot more slack out there. And this is kind of one of those pricing pressure things, right? Like the pricing pressure comes off now that everyone's available. So we're able to find people at a lot more reasonable rate. So we've been going out to do that, um, contacting vendors and kind of going line by line in our P&L and just looking where we spend the most money. Um, so getting rid of leases and then renegotiating when the, the lease uh, comes due is something that we're working on now if the lease still makes sense. Have you For a lot to... of them, I, th I think we're going to exit anyway. Um, so, you know, trying to pay less before we leave uh, isn't something really that I'm looking for. Have you had to put in a long-term tenant in one of your properties just because it's been sitting vacant? You know, for it's kind of ironic because I've had an unfurnished property that was sitting vacant for two months. Our furnished ones, once we dropped the price, we were able to get them filled up. So I think we ended up at 80 something percent occupancy for April, what looked like it was going to be zero. Um, but people are booking a lot later and at the right price, they'll still come in. I had an unfurnished one that's been vacant for two months. So ironically, still the furnished one was still able to generate revenue, even though a lot of people weren't moving for the unfurnished. And what I did is when one of my leases was ending my furnished unit, I moved the furniture to the unfurnished unit. And I figure, you know, a lot of people, even if they're looking long-term, some will still like some furniture. And if not, I can move it to another apartment. So I'm living here, actually. I didn't really have anywhere to live. So I moved the furniture here. I'm living here for now. I just took some video, actually, today and sent it out to some people. And I'm going to put it up on Facebook. Um, I've got some for rent signs that I'm going to put outside on the fence to get some of the street traffic. And, you know, again, just kind of doing some of the hands-off you know, got a phone number for it. So they're going to update the phone number daily. And my team is and just getting some kind of hands on more diligent marketing to get these things rented out. Yeah, it's cool when you're in the real estate space. Like if you ever have some downtime or it's not selling, you can always live in the house that you have. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> actually for a while I was jumping from empty Airbnb to empty Airbnb because uh, usually I just rent a place myself. 
And then I was like, wait, this thing's been vacant for two months. I'm like, I'm just going to move the furniture from the, you know, the ending unit over here. And, you know, it didn't really pay much because I, I got help from a friend to do it. Where would you, you know, go? So I was going to shift things around. Where would you go after all this is over? Or I mean, once do you rent this place out? Oh, you know, everything's negotiable. I'll go to another place or I can block off one of my other <laughs> units. I, I actually have one other vacant apartment right now um, that's unfurnished. So if they don't want it furnished, I'll move the, the furniture over to uh, 82nd Avenue and go live over there for a while. Very nice. Yeah. Who's actually out there booking Airbnbs right now? You know, that's a good question. My manager and my team um, handle all that, but there's definitely quite a few nurses. Um, so the, the typical travel nurses and some shorter term nurses also. Um, and also, you know, there's a variety of people that were kind of either looking for a place, like maybe they were looking for an apartment, but are just going to do something short term for now. Um, and then also some people who are actually booking an extra place to have a place to come home to during the week so they don't have to get exposed to their family. So different people, maybe in the medical field or, um, you know, that have high exposure to others, they actually live locally, but book another place. Yeah. That's what I think you heard me. that a little bit from... Uh, I think it was from Evan also. Yep. Um, so it's, it's been a little bit of surprising of the different mix. It is a different mix of people and we're trying to be more flexible in our leases. You know, if you want a, six months, a year, one month, two weeks, furnished, unfurnished for a longer term, you know, we'll kind of ship things around and then see how things come next year. So it's kind of just bringing more stability to the business if we can. Yeah, I remember you do usually longer term ones. So like a year, or sorry, you usually do like a month plus. Are you seeing a difference now in terms of how long they book the property? Absolutely. Um, we have a lot more shorter reservations and people are booking much quicker to their, or much closer to their move-in date. So that's actually been the biggest change. I think it used to be almost a month ahead on average or 20 something days. Now it's like maybe seven days. That's so actually pretty far out, to be honest. For mine, at least the one with the room with Evan, we're getting it maybe two days before or whatever and then they book it oh really yeah yeah and you know some of these it, it may be you know different we still have some longer term bookings but just i guess just an example like percentage wise it probably dropped you know 60 percent as far as how much tighter it got towards the move-in date so of course i think it'll you know vary depending on location and business type and all that stuff but definitely across the board from everyone i've spoken with um it's gotten closer it's gotten tighter to the move-in date it seems like across the board Mm -hmm. And what about your price? How much have you had to drop it to get people to start booking your property? Oh, don't even ask me. No. Um, <laughs> I would say relative to where it would normally be at this point in time, around 40%. And the summer will look even more extreme. Um, the summer we usually charge about double what we do in the winter. So winter is usually about break even. And then the summer is about double that. Um, so it's almost like a hunt, you know, near hundred percent, 50% gross margin. Um, and you know, I, I think this summer it's also going to be about down 40 to 50%. And you normally we'd have zero vacancy in the summer and we're going to have vacancy. So I would say overall, you know, somewhere within a 40 ish, 40 ish percent drop in revenue. Yeah. And again, with a business that doesn't have, you know, 40% net margins, yeah. So you're taking a, which frankly, loss. most businesses don't, that would be, you know, that's a tough one, but right. But again, having to be responsible for all that fixed overhead with a fluctuating revenue like that is just uh, rough in this environment. 
I'm sure you've had a lot of time to kind of sit and go through like mental, uh, I don't even know how to say it, like mental turmoil, but then you, you grow stronger from these, from these uh, instances, right? Have you, have you learned anything about yourself by going through this experience? Yeah, you know, whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger. It's funny, someone was asking me, they're like, how much are you going to potentially lose? And I, you know, I'm going over the numbers, like, you know, if no one books, it could be 45,000 a month for, for months, you know? And I'm like, aren't you freaked out? I'm like, you know, I've been sued before. I've lost a bunch of like, you know, five figures at a casino in one night. Um, you know, I've had like these little disasters that have popped up and every time I freak out and then, you know, come back to earth and someone once told me, you know, if it's a problem that can be solved with money, it's not really a problem. Yep. And I think that's what I always, you know, try to hold true. I, I think maybe I've heard you say this too. I'm not sure, but it's like, I just always go back to that. It's like, this is just money. Um, fortunately, I also have a bunch of assets in the form of real estate that I own. So it's even more comfortable, but um, I think just always going back to that, whenever there's a, a crisis, it's remembering that it's just money and then thinking, you know, what solid actions can I take today to improve it from where it is today? Not reminiscing on where it was or could have been, um, but remembering, you know, that life goes on and take some, some action that can be done today to improve it from here. Yeah. And just remember, you can always make it back in the future and potentially make it back even faster than the first time you made it. So yeah, I wouldn't sweat too much. Like, there's actually there's actually quite a few of these real estate guys, and you probably know a couple of them that have gone, you know, made millions, gone bankrupt, you know, for example, during the last cycle, and have come back and made even more than they had before. Yeah. So maybe go back and listen to some of those podcasts if you you know if anyone's feeling down out there. Um, but there's people who have you know boom busted and come back ten times more. Um, so I try not to sweat you know any of these things. Remember, it's just money. Move forward. You know, if you're at least, especially if your family's healthy, healthy, happy, you know, you're okay. Business goes on. Exactly. And, you know, in my case, I think it was a uh, winter of 2019. So sorry, winter of 2018, early uh, 2019. I was spending about 30000 every single month on carrying costs for three rehab projects that all went south. That's painful, yep. Dan. Those are yep. realized losses. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Take them. You know, I was... I was literally looking at my, you know, forward projections based on, because we had all these cancellations. Normally we would have summer filling up right now with four, four months solid bookings. Boom, 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 you know, great pricing. And I was like, we have these projections. So every day gets updated on how much we're going to lose in the next three months if we don't get more bookings. And I was like, looking at exactly what you were looking at. I'm like, wow, that's, you know, tens of thousands of dollars a month. I'm like, <laughs> you know, we got to hustle. And eventually, you know, you looked around, right? You talked to people. You know, you you ended up going this Airbnb route, and then they're printing out. You know, just like you and like it's Evan, I think, right? Mm -hmm. um, talking about making the best out of a, a bad situation, right? We can all look back and you know woulda, coulda, shoulda, and it's good to learn those lessons. But to be able to go and do something right now, it helps to you know have cash on hand, go talk to people in networks, see what other people are doing in these types of scenarios, get some ideas, and then try to go take some action to improve the situation. Exactly. And now that you have this insight, what are you going to do uh, to prepare yourself for that next big boom to capitalize on everything? Well, the first thing is having that liquidity, right? So it, it first of all prevents, you know, something bad from happening to me, but also provides cash for an opportunity on the way up. Um, I'm looking at launching a new business that I've kind of had on the back burner for maybe a year. 
so I kind of have an outline but haven't actually launched it yet and I think that'll be what I'll be doing and getting processes for that so that I can have uh, an assistant hopefully do most of the legwork for that business so that is also a business that has relatively low overhead and really high revenue and profit potential and so you know it's going to take some time to come to fruition but you know I've got to start it now and Hopefully it'll be ready in the next year or two to, to produce some big fruit as the economy gets out of a recession. That's good. I mean, I think what's most important is also that we're spending this time wisely while we have all this extra time. Even for myself, I'm going back to learning coding again. I'm actually like out here taking notes oh. on all these crazy formulas and stuff. And it's interesting. <laughs> it's good to like use your brain because the alternative is just yeah. sitting down and watching TV all day long. And I, I can't do that for you know, two months. It's too, it's too much. Yeah, to, to be honest, you know, I've learned so much, like so many more tips and tricks and, you know, different ways to market and different sites to market on and different ways to do better marketing. I've learned more of that in the last probably three weeks on these weekly calls than I have in the one year prior trying to improve the business nice. just because I needed to make the effort and I had more time to do it because there was nothing to do um, as far as like going out, having fun and things like that. So some other people mentioned it too, where it's like, man, if I would have just spent this time previously, I could have really honed in my business even more. Um, so I, I agree that I think it's a great time to either learn something new, start something new. Uh, a lot of entrepreneurs have said that, you know, during a recession is the best time to start a business because you don't have all the, you know, legacy burdens of everyone else that's around. You don't have existing debt, you know, you don't have an existing rent to pay. Uh, you know, you have all the, it's kind of an open field. People are weak. Uh, so I say go out there and uh, chase whatever dream you have. Yeah, we all start with a clean slate. Do you want to share some of those uh, tips that you learned from your networking groups? Yeah, actually, so specifically uh, with our Airbnb group, there was a few things. So one thing that I hadn't done in forever, but I used to do when I first started, is putting signs up at the property with a phone number on it. Nice. Uh, I was talking to someone actually out of state and they, were, they said, you know, they're keeping track of where their inquiries came from. And they said they were getting tons from there and closed bookings from there. And here was what's interesting and has to do with the shifting customer segment. It was someone who has a family member nearby. They were driving by and for the rest of this lockdown, they wanted to be closer to their family. So they booked, you know, this, this house that's furnished for two or three months or unknown, right? Month to month booking or whatever. Um, and it was because that sign was there they might not thought, have thought about trying to rent something in the neighborhood or didn't know it was available, but because they were driving from their parents' house or whatever, they saw it. Uh, so I think that was a great, simple, easy tip uh, to get more inquiries coming in. So do you have like a permanent like fixture, kind of like those uh, realtor signs saying for sale, you have it for rent and it's just there forever? Um, so actually, I was, I was going to grab it, but it's a little bit far away. So for right now, I, I want to actually get one of those realtor signs, but that's going to take a little bit of time. So for now, I literally just went to Home Depot, got the like plastic, you know, for rent signs where you can write in the phone number. And I'm putting up those for now until we get the better signs up. That's cool. Yeah, you're going to have a I always say post. progress over perfect. I was going to say progress over perfect, you know, because if we wait till we get the whole thing together, you know, it might take another three weeks during coronavirus to, you know, either buy them or go get the wooden tools to go do it because I don't have tools here. Yeah. I might have to call up Ireland, but um, I always just try to get stuff done as quick as possible, refine it as we go, but not wait until everything's perfect to launch. Otherwise, we're maybe wait, waiting too long. 
Right. That's really smart. Yeah, definitely. Uh, thank you so much for sharing all these tips on our show today. Do you have anything else that you want to go over in terms of helping people out who may be suffering uh, with their Airbnb businesses? Oh my gosh. I, I would say all those things, you know, focus on your reporting, um, do some networking. There's lots of groups out there. You can always reach out to, to us on Facebook or reach out to me, Jay Martin, real estate nomad. Um, I just think networking, 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 go out and test things, uh, focus on refining things, do more marketing and look at that P and L to lower expenses. I think those are all kind of step by step from the revenue side down to the expense side where you can go improve your business today. Perfect. RJ, well, thank you so much for sharing your tips and good luck with your business. Hopefully all <laughs> this ends in one more in one month and uh, people are ready to go back and book Airbnbs. I'm not a religious man, but I, I'll pray for that. Um, <laughs> I, I hope you're right. And unfortunately, I, I think you're wrong and this is going to be a long drawn out process. So I'll be prepared for everything, raise some cash. Um, thank you for having me on. Uh, hopefully everyone loves a little bit of a disaster story. So hopefully I can come back and tell a comeback story. Uh, in a year or two. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm waiting for my comeback story too. I want to go on all these different podcasts and share my story. <laughs> the sweet's not as sweet without the sour, right? Um, sure. I mean, not going to lie. I think back in 2018, my head was too big. I did like really well on a flip project, right? And I was thinking, damn, I can just do this all day, every day, make a bunch of money. Why are we working? Why are all my friends working these crazy jobs and getting paid so little? And then I got hammered. <laughs> I got hammered with the humble hammer, right? Just like, oh, like, all right. Calm down. I should appreciate things more for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, whenever I get hit with those kind of things, I'm always like, you know what? This is probably going to prevent me from making a bigger mistake like this in the future. So take the lumps early and, uh, and move on from there, you know? Quick question though. What do you think was your main mistake? Because from my perspective, at least where I've seen your progress, if it wasn't for this pandemic, I think you would have been fine. So what was like the real mistake you made in your business? You know, I've always believed that this business model is susceptible to recession. So I've had, you know, some, you know, something in the back of my mind about, you know, how much overall size do I want to have? Um, I, I would say something that other people have done better than me because of this. Um, some people I know, for example, Ethan spent a little bit more time focusing on exactly what kind of units he wanted that would make the most profit and getting under market leases. Whereas I was mostly working with kind of my friends and it was, you know, taking units that were easy to get. And I didn't take all of them, but I didn't really hone in on exactly, exactly, exactly what would have been best for me instead of taking maybe the lesser friction route of what's available. I see. So, yeah. And I think his business is holding up profit wise better than mine because he essentially, it's a little bit of a story, but essentially is getting below market leases in the first place. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of new people who go to our meetup groups and they hear stories like yours or Al's and Ethan's and they think, I love this business. I want to scale it ASAP. And then they go out and just get a bunch of leases. And then in situations like this, while you know you talk to them six months ago, they think, "Oh yeah, this is not going to happen. It's almost guaranteed because the Bay Area market is so strong." And now they're <laughs> deep doo doo. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, at that point, like you know, some people were encouraging me, "Hey, this is going so well. Why don't you just grow to 100 units?" And I'm like, "What 100 units? You know, that's like 200,000 a month in overhead. I mean, if something goes bad, I can't 
you know, like I can service this and kind of scale it down as we're, you know, bringing in revenue, but I can't do that with a hundred units. And someone else was joking, well, it'd be even better if you have a hundred because you would just tell everyone, hey, I can't pay $200,000 a month. Here's the apartments back. Here's, <laughs> you know, here, here's a hundred keys and uh, sorry, it didn't work out. Um, but, you know, that, again, that's not the way I like to go. You know, I like to fulfill all my obligations. And I think that, you know, coming around doing business, you know, next time, whether it's this or another business, I think having fulfilled all my obligations, you know, paid all my leases, borrowed and repaid money, you know, on time will provide some benefits going forward to instead of bailing out of everything, you know, not fulfilling obligations and then coming back to someone later and saying, Hey, I have a new business idea. Right. Yeah. Your reputation matters a lot, especially in the real estate world where everyone knows everyone. Yep. And again, you know, even though I'm shutting down some units, I can still borrow money from those same people I'm no longer renting from. Right. So I think it shows the the validity of just maintaining that relationship. And that is what's going to help me carry through to my next business and get through the rest of this cycle. Um, so I'm really thankful to have those relationships and, you know, having built them over years. Yeah. Well said. All right, Jay. Well, thank you again so much for your time. It's a pleasure having you back on the show. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it, Sean. All right, cool. Keep rocking. Thanks. So here's some of the key takeaways from this episode. Number one is to stay as lean as possible during these times. So go over all of your reports and see where you can become more efficient. One of the things that Jay did was he looked at how much he was spending on cleaning costs and he realized that he's able to lower all of those costs now because there's more supply for that profession. And whatever happened here is a good reminder to never put all of your eggs in one basket. The Airbnb rental arbitrage business model did seem like a very good business opportunity, but because it has a very high cost business model with relatively low gross profit margin, it may not be the best business overall. So it works really well when the market's good, but as we heard from Jay's story, it can actually be very detrimental once the occupancy rate drops. And so it might actually be better to work on another business with a higher profit margin. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can find the show notes and other episodes on our site, everythingrei.com slash podcast. If you live in the Bay Area, Join our meetup group, where we meet up twice a month in San Jose at meetup.com slash everythingrei. And if you thought this was a great episode, let me know what your key takeaway was and share it with a friend who's interested in real estate investing. Thanks and have a great day. This was another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. If you enjoyed the show, leave us a five-star rating. It will only take a second and it'll help a lot. You can contact me at sean at everythingrei.com. That's S-E-A-N at everythingrei.com. Thanks and have a great day.